0: Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime, the podcast that sheds light on yin yoga and meditation. This is your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. And my hope is that the talks and conversations in this podcast will help support your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. So in this second of a four-part conversation with yin master Bernie Clark, Bernie and I continue to discuss themes from his outstanding book, Your Spine, Your Yoga. This book, along with all his other works, needs to be in every yoga teacher's library, and I'll include a link in the show notes for where you can find Your Spine, Your Yoga. In this conversation, Bernie unpacks the important concept of spinal neutrality, and he explores how to think about symmetry, functional asymmetry, and dysfunctional asymmetry in the body. But before jumping into the episode, I have one small favor to ask of you. As a way of supporting this podcast, I humbly ask that you might consider sharing this episode or sharing a link to the podcast in either your social media channels, such as Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or to share it in a blog or newsletter that you might send out. This is incredibly helpful to me, as I've tried to keep this podcast sponsor-free, and I intend to try to keep it that way. I personally don't like the intrusion of advertisements when I'm listening to a good podcast or a good conversation. So for now, I'm keeping advertisements out of Everyday Sublime, which means as a free podcast, I support and back this podcast with my own resources. And it's a sacrifice that I feel privileged to make. And all I ask of you is this, that if you find value in this podcast, Please share it with someone else that might find it valuable too. And I thank you in advance for that sharing and support. And I'm glad you're here today. So without further ado, I once again bring you Bernie Clark. Okay, so in our conversation, Bernie, um, you've been talking a little bit about maintaining neutrality of the spine, Um, and I think where yoga teachers may run into um, maybe challenge or difficulty with um, voicing and cueing ideas around neutrality is that most teachers as you've noted try to come at the assessment of neutrality through visual appearance like what it looks like so yes. if we're stepping out of an aesthetically correct ideal of what neutrality is what would a how would how would a teacher help a student assess functional neutrality of the spine
1: well all these things are contextual. Uh, when we say neutral, that makes it sound like we're talking in a static pose, the neutral spine. But the body is not always static. There's a dynamicness to this. And so I'm not saying you must always keep your spine neutral, like standing in a mountain pose all day long, shoulders back and down, nice curve in the lower back. You should never move away from that. We're moving the spine all the time. Every time we sit down or get up or we reach behind us to grab something, and the spine is moving out of neutral. So I'm not against a non-neutral spine. All I'm saying is when you put a huge load on the spine, make sure it's as close to neutral as possible and that you stiffen and support it. Mm -hmm. But in a yoga practice, there's going to be many times when the spine is not neutral. Just be aware of if you're loading it, try to keep it neutral. Now, one of the things that happens, unfortunately, is we confused, and this was a surprise to me when I did the research, we confused straight with neutral. We think that if the spine is straight, it's neutral. And so we may, you may hear cues like, when you're doing a forward fold, come down with a straight spine. Okay. Or if you're doing other movements, do it with a straight spine. Well, if you think of a picture of a spine, it's got those four curves. The neck has a slight backwards curve, the, the chest has a kyphotic forward curve, and then the lumbar's got a backwards curve, and the, the sacrum has a forward curve. The spine is not straight. To straighten the spine, like when we stand up taller, we reduce those curves. If you reduce the, lum- the lumbar curve, you get a bit taller. If you reduce the kyphotic chest curve, you get a bit taller. Well, the lumbar can only flex until it's straight. Lumbar has normally got a bit of a curve, and then as soon as you flex it totally, it's completely straight. The opposite in the chest we have a kyphotic curve. If you backbend the chest, it can backbend only to straight. So a completely straight spine, which you may see quite often in yoga class, means that you've got a fully flexed lumbar and a fully extended chest.
0: Can I, can I play that back to you for one second? Because I haven't really thought through that before. You're no. basically saying if we try to straighten the lumbar lordotic curve, it will no. it will come to straight, but there's no way you can take the lumbar curve and make it kyphotic. Correct. Right? And then the same is the opposite would be true for the... For the the thoracic spine, that you can straighten the, the thoracic spine, reduce its kyphosis until it's neutral, or but it will yeah. not become lordotic.
1: Yeah, until it's straight. Neutral is its normal curve. Okay. So you can straighten the, the thoracic, but you can't get it past straight. You can't do a back bend in the rib cage. The lumbar, except for contortionists, I have seen some contortions that have a slight forward curve in the upper lumbar, like L1, L2. But even their L3, L4, L5, they never go past straight. So for most normal mortals, you'll never get past a straight spine. But a straight spine is a fully flexed lumbar. And if your intention is, well, flexion is bad for the lower back, I want to avoid stressing the lower back when it's flexed. Well, telling them to come down with a straight spine, you just flex their lower back to its maximum. If that's your intention, fine. But if your intention was to protect the lower back, that's not protective. So a straight spine is not a neutral spine. Hmm. So if you ask me what cues would I kind of caution teachers with, this term straight spine, because that's not neutral. It's as far away from neutral as you can
0: get. So and then so to, to that point, then how how say a simple thing, you teach you're, 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 you're teaching teachers to cue students to come forward in a forward fold from standing. Right. How would you cue to come forward with a neutral spine
1: well the first thing i might do in my class is teach something called bracing and spacing which there's a little segment in the book on that as simple as kind of just pushing well let's start you bring your thumb to the lowest rib and your little finger to the top of your pelvis and then you got three fingers free push them into the stomach but now push the stomach against those three fingers that is the bracing. Hmm. And if you separate the rib cage from the pelvis, that's the spacing. That will keep a fairly neutral lower back and you'll have stiffened it. Now, do that when you're sitting on your heels and then simply just come to standing on your knees. Do that a couple of times and you'll find that movement is always coming from your hips. There's no need to move your back to come up from sitting on your heels to your knees. Then see if you can do the same when you're standing. It's the same hip movement until you're about halfway. At some point, you will round the back. You have to round the back to do a full forward fold. But during the moment when the muscles are engaged, you've got that bracing and spacing. Mm -hmm. Now This next bit's a little bit technical, but the researchers have discovered something that I found quite fascinating, which speaks to this whole thing of, is it safe to round your spine when you do a forward fold, or do you have to bend your knees when you do a forward fold? Once you're past about 45 degrees of flexion, like you're maybe about a third the way down on a forward fold, your back muscles turn off. These big erector spinae muscles, they're no longer engaged to support you and to control your descent. What's helping you now is your fascia, your ligaments. There's about seven layers of fascial and ligament tissues along the back of the spine. They take the stress of the forward fold. Hmm. And when you come up, it's these It's the elasticity of these ligaments that brings you back up to about 45 degrees, and then that's when the muscles turn on again and bring you the rest of the way. Hmm. There's a little parenthetical thing here. Josh, sometimes I hear people say you should not stretch ligaments. You should not stretch tendons. I don't know where that came from. It's not
0: true in the least. I remember talking when we had you on last time. This came up because this is sort of the... uh... The favorite populist argument against yin yoga. You should never stretch or stress ligaments. Um, Or joints. And yet
1: in our back, we have ligaments that are designed to stretch. There's one which is called the ligamentum flavum, which means in Latin the yellow ligament. And it's yellow because it has a huge number of elastin fibers in the ligament. And the elastin fibers are yellow, so it gives it its name. It is meant to stretch 50 to 60% of its normal length. So that when you're coming back up from a forward fold, it's this ligament that's drawing you back up. It's the elasticity in this ligament. So the it, muscles don't have to lift you up.
0: Is that ligament all along the spine? I, I forget exactly where, where, what it connects. Yeah. It
1: goes between kind of the spinous processes and the, the back of the, the vertebrae just behind the spinal cord. Huh. And there's another ligament called the, the interspinous ligament. And then there's the, the spinous ligament itself. All these ligaments are elastic. And they are meant to pull you back up again they're your anti-gravity ones when you get up to the neck there's a big one it gets renamed the neutral ligament but you'll see this on cows and horses um, animals that graze they've got this big looks like a big muscle in the back of their neck Mm -hmm. well that's that's a big ligament that's very elastic and that lifts the head back up it saves the muscle the job so the same in our back the muscles only work at a very short range of motion and then it's our ligaments in our fascia and its elasticity that helps us come back up and down again.
0: So the que- I, you know one of the sort of the maybe the devil's advocate type questions I have is then, if if the intention is to maintain and or restore the elasticity of that particular ligament, mm-hmm. do we do that? Does that does that sort of maintenance strategy or that exercise strategy get best? Um, achieved through a yang type stress where you might bounce down and come back up or does it happen more in a a static yin type posture do do you have any sense of that
1: yeah and the answer is yes no maybe (laughs) (laughs) fascia is such a complicated area there's so many different types of fascia and different ways to work each type of fascia Uh, robert schleip one of the superstars in fascial research he's got a whole book out called fascial fitness and for him it's it's almost like plyometrics. It's, it's bouncing. It's taking it close to an end range of motion. Then little movements will help to rebuild and strengthen the kink, these little W's in the fascia and the collagen. Mm-hmm. You can actually train those to be more elastic through little bouncing type movements.
0: And those kinks, just to, for listeners that may not be familiar with it, really l- resemble s- spring-like formations in the collagen right. fibers so that they, they can expand and then and spring back.
1: Yeah, the technical name is the technical name is crimp. Right. The crimp in that. So you can train that to be more crimp-like and get a little bit more elasticity. But also through long-held yin stresses, you can affect the water structure in the fascia and the creep stress. So there's benefits to all these types of stresses. So it's more of an and
0: both scenario. Yeah. Right. Okay. Different ways to work it.
1: Which kind of makes sense because we move in so many different ways. <laughs> Sometimes we're still, sometimes we're bouncing around, sometimes we're strong.
0: Yep. You know, something that we've been sort of circling around, um, and this was just a a general topic I wanted to go over with you, was um, a view within yoga land that, again, this is speaking, or this is sort of describing what might be called the aesthetic paradigm of postural analysis. Because I see it not just in yoga, but you see it in different forms of body work and physiotherapy, where there is a, a kind of a presumed view or presumed ideal that uh, a healthy body is perfectly balanced, perfectly symmetrical. Um, one shoulder isn't higher than the other, one hip isn't higher than the other, et cetera. And, um, and if a body does display such signs of asymmetry, the good therapist or a good teacher you know with yoga particularly can come along and prescribe uh corrections for that asymmetry to bring the person into better health and um it just seems as a conclusion from everything you're bringing forth in this book that that that's a kind of a myth that yeah. that's this ideal this ideal of symmetry just is not the way the you know not just human bodies, but bodies in nature uh, exhibit themselves. And I remember, I I think it was Gil Headley was speaking about this. The, the anatomist, he said something like, if you look at nature, you do not see symmetry anywhere. There's no natural structure that is ever perfectly symmetrical. Everything's winding around spirals and and curves. um, And what we can seek is healthy balance, but not necessarily perfect symmetry. Um, And, I would like to hear kind of maybe some of your thoughts on that and what does healthy balance look like and and what might be some sort of maybe rugged rules of thumb around what good balance is versus what bad balance might be.
1: Yeah, this is tricky because there is dysfunctional asymmetry and there's functional asymmetry. And for a lot of times we, we thought all asymmetry must be dysfunctional.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and we measure asymmetry in in different ways like one common thing is for a physiotherapist to look at the height of one side of the hip to another Uh, they might use a point called the psis the posterior superior iliac spine or or maybe the top of the ilium crust and if one is slightly higher it may be because that leg is a bit longer or there's a torsion in the sacrum and they're going to try to untorsion the sacrum or they're going to try to do some manipulations and yet that completely ignores the fact that some pelvises are just higher on one side than the other. This person is completely symmetric in terms of their SI joints and everything else, but one bone is half an inch longer than the other bone, the legs are perfectly okay, this person doesn't need any change. They're functional, even though they have the appearance of asymmetry. But there may be somebody who does have one leg a bit shorter, and they are dysfunctionally asymmetric, in which case they may need some therapeutic stuff. But the functional asymmetry is the rule, None of us are symmetric. Everyone has the left side different from the right side. My right arm is much bigger and stronger than my left because I'm right-handed. Uh, one shoulder is always a little bit higher. One hip's always a little bit lower. These don't need fixing. So the rule of thumb is, is it broken? <laughs> are you dysfunctional? In which case, yeah, let's look at it. But if somebody just comes up and says, hey, you know, you've got a slight scoliosis to your spine. If you lived your life fine until now, you just shrug and say, oh, interesting. But don't try to fix it. <laughs> But if you've got a problem where it hurts all the time when you do something or you're dysfunctional in some way, then, yeah, you've got to look deeper. And maybe asymmetry is a problem. Usually it's not. But, you know, what is causing the dysfunction?
0: Right. You know, as, as I was asking the question, as I was listening to your response so far, I, I had this um, sort of shudder of memory of my early days of teaching where I was, I was teaching more yengar mode. A an younger style mode, and I would literally walk around the room, kind of with with a metaphorical pointer, tapping people in certain points of their body, saying, "Oh, lift this up, bring this down, bring you know, tweak this," yeah, yeah. Um, and it just it strikes me as like I, I know that still goes on, like not necessarily with me, but with other right. teachers are still going around doing that kind of thing um, in ways that those asymmetries, as you're saying, are, are perfectly harmless.
1: Well, or I discovered be- in the uh, uh, part of the vertebrae in our spine have little. Growth called facets. And these facets, there's four to each vertebrae, and they nest in the vertebrae's facets below and above. And they're kind of like train tracks. They guide the movements of the spine. In the lumbar, because of the alignment of these facet joints, they restrict twisting. Our lumbar is not designed to twist very much. You get one to three degrees of rotation in the spine, in the lumbar spine. Mm-hmm. But some people, their right facets are more open to the side than the left. Most people can twist more one way than the other and that's just a function of the shape of their bones but if you realize oh i can twist to my left and i can see much farther than i can twist to my right and now i'm going to try to get it equal i can really try to twist more and more to my right but you're just hitting bones on bones yeah well dynamically just keep banging into those bones you can damage the joint capsules yeah that's okay just to statically be at your limit but don't try to go past it so we look more to one side than the other. We, we can twist more to one side. We can side bend more to one side. You don't need to be symmetric to be healthy.
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, just to sum that idea up, I would say the majority of my yoga injuries have been a consequence of trying to militantly affect symmetry on both sides of my body. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can open so much on my right side and I try to, to replicate that on my left in my left bone, the left side of my like my hip or torsion of my femur, whatever it is, does not allow that to to occur, and then 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 uh, destruction occurs somewhere else. Um, so I think that's a great point. Okay, I'll pause the conversation there for now, and in the next episode of Everyday Sublime. Bernie and I will pick up our conversation with a discussion of how to think about yoga for younger developing bodies as well as for older aging bodies. Bernie's new outstanding book, Your Spine, Your Yoga, is now available and there's a link for you in the show notes for where you can find that. Again, his books are essential fixtures in every smart yoga teacher's library. Don't miss out. And if you're interested in training in or studying yin yoga with me, please check out yinyogaschool.com. That's yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today and I'll see you in the next episode.